Hey, folks, and welcome to the Daily Ratings Podcast. It's a show where each week we'll be sitting down with Vincent Daly to get his thoughts on the latest movies he's been watching, both older films and new releases. And don't worry, there's no spoilers. Vince will give a brief review of the movie, share some thoughts, and of course, then rate the film. The daily ratings are always fair, honest, and most importantly, they're consistent. On today's show, Vince will be rating and reviewing Dressed to Kill by Brian De Palma, My Own Private Idaho by Gus Van Sant, We Have Newly Released ISS by Gabriella Cowperthwaite, American Fiction by Cord Jefferson, and finally, The Beekeeper, directed by David Ayer. So it is going to be a great show, folks. Stay tuned and enjoy. Vincent Daly, how we doing, buddy? Thomas, how's it going? Uh, it's going okay for me. On this side of the table, how was your week of movies, buddy? I, you know, uh, a relaxing week. I definitely a weirdo. Week. It was all over the place a little bit. It was all over the place. Uh, I did. I didn't realize. I sent this list to you pretty early. I didn't yeah. realize how weirdo it was going to be and how uh, like all of the spectrum. <laughs> we didn't really have a choice with the newly released. Sure. And we really only have one 2024 film, mm, which technically is, right, right, which is The Beekeeper. Yeah. And then we. We have uh, because ISS and American Fiction were twenty three. Yeah, but Amer- American, when was I mean, ISS playing? It was that. I don't like know. A, Apparently, it's twenty three. I don't oh, know. Okay, okay. I think it might have been technically. A, I don't know if it was a foreign film too. So oh. It might have been released. No, well, no, it's not a foreign film, but right. I honestly don't know. Smaller okay. studio, sure, sure. And then smaller movie, Ameri- for sure. Yeah, American Fiction came out in one of the major festivals, and then finally we're able to see it. Uh, yeah, which yeah. Which we haven't gotten the chance to do with some of the, uh, I don't know, some of the Oscar nominated <laughs> right, things. Right, right. And then he did Dress to Kill in My Own Private Idaho, which is just you know, hey, whatever. <laughs> I'm assuming this was your list. These were on somewhere. <laughs> yes, list. yes. Uh, I'll, I'll do the intro for them, but uh, you surprised me with watching Dress to Kill before I did. Yeah. <laughs> and I believe your words was it was shocking. It was, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. It was yeah, a lot going it was on. A lot. Um, <laughs> but yes, the the uh, the, the big news, uh, of course, came out the morning of the newsletter, mm. so they weren't in there. But I also kind of like it because our award show matters. Oh. The, the Oscar noms did come out and getting all the talk, the talk of the town. Everyone was picking up, people angry, people not caring, yeah. and all the above. Right. <laughs> uh, well, I, there was a lot of buzz, uh, especially on social media, about snubs specifically this year. Uh, the Iron Claw and um, Saltburn. Being... And Barbie. Oh, Barbie's yes, getting right. the most heat. Yeah, absolutely. I, I uh, you know, looking at the list, it's just kind of like, ah, oh, okay, that make that makes sense. I, it, this this is a repeat from last year, and I imagine it's probably going to be a repeat as long as I watch as many movies as I watch. That I, I'm just happy that I covered, you know, ninety five percent of right. these. And there's ones that we wanted to that we just we couldn't exactly act, like we literally tried to and yeah, couldn't. Yeah, like which zone is of interest, horribly annoying. Right, right. But I would say, yeah, the the most angry people were were the Barbie, which is specifically Greta Gerwig for director and Margot for actress, despite. And- um, Ryan Gosling getting the the nod, right? Yeah, and so for us, I mean, the, the number one thing you loved about that movie was probably Ryan Gosling, and <laughs> yeah. then secondarily was probably like set design or decoration, sure. set decoration. Sure. Mm-hmm. I, I have to say, 
Margot not being an actress, you know, whatever. Like, could she be in there? Sure. Annette Benning for Nyad, which was on no one's radar. Uh, no one's radar. You know, I guess technically Annette Benning kind of took Margot's spot. I you could say that you can make a case. I don't know, I gotta be super angry. I'm not angry about really any of it. Mm. And then also I was a little surprised that Greta Gerwig was not for director and I, probably should have been. Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think should have been. Um, and uh, especially because our, our best director nods, I mean, all very deserving. I don't know. I, I don't actually. I, here's the thing, because like the heat that just the absolute scorn mm-hmm. that people are going on the Oscars or the Academy for. Mm-hmm. It's it's not representation of, of women directors and whatever. But oh, I, right, I, I right, would right. say that the one thing that made it on was just. Justine Tree for Anatomy of the Fall. Oh, sure. I think yeah. it's something that maybe shouldn't be dead best director, mm. but also is a woman. Right. That would have right. to get knocked off to put Greta on there. Mm, right. And then I right. think you would have a proper, proper actual list. But I think you're dead on because Anatomy of the Fall, I, I don't know. It's, I, a, screen, not, it's a screenwriter. Exactly. It's a screenplay. That's it's, it's all in the words. It's not in the, the visual language of the film. No, um, it's pretty basic directorially. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think Greta should be on there. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm not angry about it. Just like the way I feel about that also is Alexander Payne should also be on there mm, for the whole true. numbers. Right, right. Especially you know? concept uh, executing uh, as far as like the whole 70s feel to the holdovers. Exactly. I mean, I think the best picture makes sense except for maybe kick something out and Miyazaki maybe should be in there mm. just for some props. Sure, sure. I'd be happy with if, that. If there's overwhelming, if there's like four main things to the Academy, one Oppenheimer wins the Oscars. Oppenheimer wins. Yeah. Okay. Yep. That, that's the main thing to take away. Two, yep. uh, Marty is Marty and people have respect. Yep. The and buzz I, is already coming out and he's the it, most nominated director ever. Or, t- or almost. Yeah. There's one that has 12 nominations. Oh, okay, he has okay. 11. Oh, okay. So I think he will in his lifetime. Yeah. Uh, barring any, you know, as long as he's okay. Well, you hear the buzz. Apparently he was at a film festival or something like that introducing Daniel Day-Lewis and they yeah. said that they were going to be working together. Which they is... didn't say that. Marty said, I oh. think we should do one more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think another through line with the Oscars is they really are not – they're not hot on comedies. They're, mm. they're not the biggest fan of comedies. They mm-hmm. kind of look more down upon them, and I think that's also why Barbie got hit a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think they tried to make up for it with, like, American Ferrara. Sure. Uh, Ferrara. Yep. Uh, because Barbie did end up getting nominated for eight – Oscars. It's just yeah. like two, two of them were for song. Mm-hmm. You know, American Favorite is not going to win. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think. Who o- do you think is going to win that? Uh, the best supporting uh, slot. I think it's our girl, Divine Joy Randolph. Yeah, I would love that. I would love that again. This this naiad. Did you see the glasses Jodie Foster is wearing people, in this poster? No, but I heard people talking about the glasses. <laughs> apparently, apparently, I don't think she's going to win. I mean, I would say. And Emily Blunt, the best supporting actress to me is the worst one that the mm. Oscars. I mean, Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer. It's her first nomination, so congr- oh, good, really? Oh, good okay. for oh, her, right. but yeah, not fair. deserving. I'd say mm. kick off Ellen, em, Emily Blunt and then mm. put on. Um, oh man, what is her name that we liked in Napoleon? Oh um, my god! Just completely. Regardless, her. <laughs> Who we love. Yeah. Uh, I think she was way better, way more important than Emily Blunt with her character, Mm. getting her on there. This is where I think Scarlett Johansson should just be on. Because I think she was was way better at her, like, in a much more substantial role. Wait, Scarlett Johansson in what? In in Asteroid City. Oh, right, 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 right. (laughs) So, yeah, the best supporting actress is a little all over the place. Yeah. Same thing with the best actor. It's, like, Coleman Domingo for Rustin. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, could Dominic Sessa be in there? Yeah. 
but he's sure. not. But it's like okay, Jeff- that's the only thing I'm kind of uh, uh, have some tears about is that Dominic Sessa yeah. didn't get a single nom, and I really do think he was the the strongest of the three in that film. Right, um, I, all three very strong, but uh, but yeah, that was. And same and same thing with our boy Adam Driver. It's like we'll find out how you like Jeffrey Wright. Maybe he deserves to be in there, but I think mm. Adam Driver could also say should be in there. But nothing is that's like you're not mad about anything, mm, you know. Sure, sure. This, these lists are just like okay, this is very safe. A yeah. lot of critics are pissed that Leo didn't get a nom. Oh, and we were not. And Tom Daly's. I just put a question mark next to his name. It's just like <laughs> just acting drunk the whole time, basically. Yeah, it's <laughs> not that impressive. I don't think. Yeah. So I I think uh, my opinion on Leo was uh, let, let's call him the pie crust. He was the the setting for everything else to be built upon yeah. uh, in in Killers of Flower Moon because he basically that's you know, good he's he is the part of that antagonist uh, that uh, unfolds right so I feel like uh, his strong performance in that was good but he kind of serves a role more so than anything yeah and that just and okay and this leads me to the commentary on maybe I just don't get how to separate things a little bit. Oh, the, the the actress and supporting actress <laughs> this year has like tripped us up. I don't understand. Uh, maybe every, they just every, don't care. Every, you know? <laughs> everybody says Lily Gladstone is going to win Best Actress yep. for Killers of the Flower Moon. Yep. she won the Golden Globe. Mm. I think she won something else. Yep. or not if not two other awards. Right, and, and well deserved I, as well. I, I, how is she? She's about. She's like third on in that movie. Mm. She's third lead. How is she right. not? Supporting actress in that film, right, right. I mean, forget the Carrie Mulligan thing. I did, well, like if, that's what I'm if Killy, if, I texted if, you immediately. I said, "Well, <laughs> I guess they're both leads. I guess we were both wrong." I don't know. I, I guess. I mean, I, technically, the award is called Best Actress, mm-hmm. and then they separate it with. So it's not Best Lead Actress. Mm. It is just Best Actress. But right. I, I, I guess I'm just. I don't know how to parcel. I parcel that those awards differently in my head. I, I totally agree, and. Uh, I think the answer here lies in that the Oscars is a uh, corrupt. Uh, well, yeah. Another <laughs> <you> three know, <laughs> patting themselves on the back, uh, you know. And I will say another thing with the Oscars is people can't. I think where Barbie got kicked out a little bit, yeah. Like with Greta, people can't forget that the Academy is also an international mm, right, voting right, base. Right. Yeah, and you can see it playing in here. And also, mm-hmm. even I think the American voters in the Academy are finding. After the whole parasite thing, mm. they're trying to get more international. Yep. And well, I feel it, like it, that's it, a bit the of a play. kooky way, a little bit, but mm-hmm. they're going more for that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's the play for Anatomy of the Fall as well. I mean, full credit deserved, but uh, when you get yeah. something that strong, I feel like all the nominations just kind of go towards it. Uh, right. Flock exactly. Towards it. So um, anyway. That's pretty much that. Any other? Uh, uh, Super Mario not being an animated feature I thought was shocking, but uh, equally happy that uh, Across the Spider-Verse was. So who knows? Who knows? I, I think I'd be happy with everyone except Elemental in the well, animated that's... feature. So uh, even Nimona, uh, I was, uh, it was on like kind of my catch-up list uh, for this year. Uh, maybe I'll get around to it. Uh, looked cute and conceptually okay. exciting right. as well. And do you think, like I made that comment, how the Academy always kind of looks down upon and doesn't take comedy seriously, mm-hmm. even though... Oh, I think that's dead on. Same with horror. Well, I would say, and animated. Mm, like, sure. as far as best picture goes, I think there is a case uh, to put in The Boy and the Heron, mm-hmm. just for Miyazaki's sake. Right, right. But also Spider-Man. Yeah. Because that was a great movie. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you know? it is nominated. No, no, I mean for like Best Picture oh, or Best Director. Oh, I see, I I'm see. I'm saying that kind of. Not in the, you true, know what I mean? True, true, yeah. 
I at least I think with animation, it gets out as the top of the pack of the shunned children of horror comedy. Yes, yes. Uh, and uh, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's others uh, as well. But uh, <laughs> but that's that's it for the Oscars. That's it for the Oscars. I don't, I don't want to give two <laughs> shits I know. here. I mean, oh my god. Hey, most like important show was two weeks ago. <laughs> that's the only show you got to worry about. <laughs> Which I've been getting huge feedback that for the coming year mm-hmm. we only do the surprise <laughs> awards, which I kind of like. I mean, you know. I think- Let's, I think let's get away from convention and uh, and the usual. Uh. I, I like that. We could expand a little bit. Yeah. I do like having some of our, you know, if we're doing this for 15, 20 years still, mm-hmm. it'll be fun to look back that we actually have our best director and best film. Uh, very true. So those very are, true. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's something that we can reference back to. Yeah. Because I think that's – and it matters for us for – the Oscars, I mean, and uh, among competition, even you know, I mean, that's the yeah. things that people look for. But the fans will like, and the, even us, uh, it, for us for reference and thinking back to it, it's yeah. nice to reference something. Or you know, again, five years from now, we've referenced something back to this year and be like, oh, that one Tom Daly too. Mm, we yeah, can't right, forget. Right. Yeah, absolutely. you know what I mean. Absolutely. When I say the Oscars don't matter, I'm just like, that's kind of we kind of don't care that much, <laughs> and we kind of <laughs> never <kinda>. did. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, okay, you're right. That's enough of that. Uh, we'll get into this week. I watched two films this week. Oh boy! Really wanted to get to the movies to go see American Fiction uh, right, because right, I right. just I like just hearing good things about it. Absolutely, Jeffrey Wright. We all like, and clearly it's the dark horse uh, coming out of um, right. Uh, it's the, getting, the Oscar. It's getting some love. It's yeah, getting some absolutely. love. Uh, didn't get a chance to see it, so I did see our. <laughs> I did see the two this week of our uh, old films. I watched Dress to Kill in my own and in my own <laughs> private Idaho. I'm so sorry. I, I didn't choose. <laughs> Something I don't know. I thought you were gonna watch nothing. I this gotta week. be honest with you. Well, you know, like I said, I'm trying to make an effort and stuff. You know, just to, just stay stay with it. <laughs> this is not staying with it. This I, is, I wasn't. This is disconnecting. You know, I I was looking. I didn't do any research to Dress to Kill. Okay. I just knew the name of the movie. Yep, yep. And then for my own private Idaho, I knew the name of the song from <laughs> the, the B52s. B-52s. Yeah. And then you see Young Keanu and um, River. Or, right. You have the River brother. Yeah. I, I was <laughs> River Phoenix, right? Uh, I, 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 well, let's, we'll just get into them right yeah, away. Yeah, right, right. I, don't I, hold I, back. I, I got some thoughts, but okay. regardless, let's go back to 1980, folks. This is Dress to Kill, Brian De Palma. Mm. Which boy, am I looking at him a different way? Now? <laughs> Dress to Kill, 1980, featuring uh, Michael Caine, uh, <laughs> yeah. Angie Dickinson, Nancy Allen, Keith Gordon. The, the most sensual and sexual opening to a film I've it ever seen really in my life. Is. It I couldn't really I was is. I was shocked. I was like, whoa. Oh man. What did you think? What were your thoughts coming out of Dress to Kill? And also why was it on your list in the first place? Uh well I didn't love it. I'll say that. So uh if you're uh, wondering about a film from nineteen eighty on the dot, uh if it's good or bad, uh, I would say eh, <laughs> you know. Uh the reason why we're focusing on this uh, folks is uh this is the start of a new director study I've been wanting to do and tackling one one of the strongest directors to come out of the 70s, Brian De Palma. Uh, Believe it or not, we have already covered quite a bit from him on the podcast. This includes the original Carrie from 1976, uh, the Untouchables from 1987, got a good score, Mm -hmm. uh, and the original Mission Impossible from 1996. Uh, Despite the many decades he was able to thrive in, uh, there is a four-movie stretch that I have always wanted to check out, and that's exactly what we're going to do. Oh, cool. The list here is Dressed to Kill uh, in 1980. The year after Blowout, 
uh, with John Travolta, a film that Quentin Tarantino calls one of the best films of the 80s. Okay. Uh, so I've seen those lists before. <laughs> right, right. He's, he's a little bit all over the place. <laughs> After that, we go to the iconic and something I'm very excited just to revisit, Scarface with Al Pacino. Oh, my God. I forget uh, he got that Scarface. Yeah, and then just a year later, Body Double. And, and that might seem right for a cut or, or not to care about. But for some reason, Body Double is associated with Brian De Palma as one of his most iconic films in mm-hmm. this kind of twist and turns. Uh, he's referred to on the poster as the master of macabre. These are not things I know Brian De Palma <laughs> for. <laughs> So I'm I'm really excited to see like why his marketing was almost a la Hitchcock esque, mm-hmm. where it's about like thrillers and tension and suspense. Uh, where I've always just known him not like that. I don't know what I've known him for. He's so kind that's... of all over the place. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know what I mean. I mean, doing an Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could see that thriller aspect and that weirdness coming out of Just to Kill. Right, right. Those four you just listed off are those all '80s films. Where those does... those are one year after another. He has a four Holy year shit. stretch that he just he just kills it. Oh my god! And so... then Untouchables is um, late '80s. Then mm-hmm. right. Okay. Uh, and yeah, I think it's like '87 or something like that. Uh, yeah, yeah, 1987. Okay. You know, when it comes down to it, why? Why Brian De Palma might be important to study is, you know, De Palma is one of the directors to be kind of associated with the new wave coming in the 70s. I'm talking Scorsese. I'm talking Lucas. Uh, you know, There's De Palma a nickname is, for that crew, and I forget what it is. Yeah. But he's in there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if anything, my study uh, of De Palma is going to be like... Does he deserve to be in that? You know what I, I mean? Yeah, I, I don't I, think of him like a Lucas or a Scorsese. So I think there's um, I think know. there's a bit of like I don't know if it's just talked about, like it's always him versus either Spielberg or him versus Scorsese. Mm. And Scorsese ends up getting the pictures that he wanted always always wanted right, to right. make. Yep. I don't know if there's an actual feud between the two. Sure. Or he's bitter about things, mm-hmm. but I know it's always talked about. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Him always feeling like an an, an other or something. Right. And right. maybe rightfully so. <laughs> Yeah. But we can look forward to those other three films coming up in the future here. <laughs> it's kind of cool that we're studying. I mean, he's a huge director. It's good to get some exactly. of those on. N- none and, other than Scarface, especially. Yeah. And, and yeah, right. The the skin in the game for me is I get to review Scarface uh, and a, a movie that I've always said has the single best chainsaw scene mm-hmm. in all of cinema. Right. When it comes down to it, we'll see if the rest of the movies are good or not. I'm also curious about Blowout because of the Tarantino, you know, That's recognition. Yep. I'll give Travolta a shot to redeem himself, you know, in his prime. So. <laughs> But uh, let me tell you, though, folks, I put on Dress to Kill for some for some guests while they were over, and I immediately turned it off in a shade of red <laughs> on my face. Uh, this movie starts uh, sexual, but like very intimate. Yeah, uh, like uh, really not not romantic, just very intimate. And and did you do a double take on what it was rated? No. With no. me, I'm just like, is this NC seventeen? Right, right. I was like, this is on Prime. What are you kidding me? <laughs> It was free on Prime, and it was—it was, it was just like it was quite the start to a film. Mm. Like you have Bond openings, mm. you know, <laughs> and this is like the sex version of the Bond opening. That's almost right, right. Bond could use some of this sex um, in this film. <laughs> I mean, I, I honestly, when I—it was happening, and it was just so ridiculous. I was just like, "What?" I—I I, I don't know anything about this movie. I know nothing about this movie. <laughs> right, and you watched it before me, so I, I, in in this shade of red that came over me, this embarrassment of putting this on around guests, I also was feeling secondhand embarrassment of like, oh my god, Tom, watch. <laughs> what is it? What am I doing? <laughs> so, it, yeah, it's just absolutely ridiculous. Um, Dress to Kill is a mystery thriller with heavy sexual 
themes if you haven't picked that up already, folks. Surrounding nearly all of our characters in some way, um, I would say the thematic ties of these sexual themes, they're kind of the, the direction all of our characters are pointed in. This theme is layered many ways, whether it's our characters' secrets, uh, their profession directly, or deepest desires. Um, our inciting incident is around Angie Dickinson, uh, the lady in the shower that we've been talking about, the NC-17 herself, <laughs> uh, <laughs> who has been acting since the 50s. The only film I really recognize her from is the Western classic Rio Bravo, uh, which maybe we can revisit uh, come July. Oh, she's uh, the main girl in Rio she's Bravo. The main, main girl wow. in Rio Bravo, right. Right, and That's and def- freaking awesome. Let me also say the shower scene is not like her body. Like, <laughs> in no way is this aging. You woman. don't think? <laughs> well, at one point they do like a full uh, right. She has full body shots, and it's her it, head. It, but it's it's the the close up, the very intimate close ups. Right. Not her. okay. Well, that not makes her. sense. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's not enough money in the world. Yeah. Probably. <laughs> She's too classy. She should work with John Wayne. She doesn't do that. <laughs> He's defending her already. Um, Our inciting incident, though, is around Angie. Uh, She begins to lust for attention, uh, but getting what she wants turns out to be her last wish as a razor-wielding murderer mysteriously attacks. I would say for the bulk of the runtime, the story is dedicated to piecing this mystery together with each character... Uh, gaining ground in their own way. They've kind of chipped away at the mystery together. Michael Caine, uh, most notably, plays a shared psychiatrist among many of the characters, and he might just hold insight into who this murderer might be uh, through his disturbed clients. Now, folks, um, this plays out pretty normal for a while, uh, like any Silence of the Lambs-style thriller, until 20 minutes left. Uh, and without spoiling too much, there is, in this kind of 20 minutes, <laughs> there is an awkward handling of kind of the mental state around our killer, mm-hmm. uh, and the dialogue surrounding it is, uh, I-, I would say, just kind of downright painful, especially in a modern watch. This was... Uh, First time in a while, I would have to say, uh, this one's not really holding up in modern day. Uh, <laughs> but that the two comments I told you, it was like, it was a lot, it's, in- it's a lot going on, and also, this would never be made today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But also never be made today if only, it would be made today if they just took out this, like, 10-minute dialogue slot in the film. I don't know why it's, it's so obsessed with it, but the movie then pulls what I would describe as a cold cock punch to the face. And gives us a twist that I think might ruin the whole movie for me. I, I really didn't like the twist. I think the twist like destroyed the movie for me. Uh, and it's all in this crazy spiral of the last 20 minutes of the film. Uh, I, I was almost speechless. I don't know. What, what, what were your thoughts on this? By the last 20 minutes, I was already... Not checked out of the film. Oh, okay. But the, my my the, my feelings towards it or my caring towards it was mm. out the window. Sure, sure. So by the, the you know things happened and I was just like, oh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's kind of it because the whole I was already shocked from the first twenty five seconds of the film. Uh, right, right. And then I'm just like, is this just a platform because Brian De Palma wants to see naked blondes? <laughs> like he just that's he wants to be. Every woman is blonde. I know. That's Every what I'm saying. Woman. By the end, I'm just like, what's, what was this guy? What's, what? what is what's his goal right, here? You know what right. I mean? Yeah. He's like, but what's his face? Um, <laughs> what's his face character in Boogie Nights or something? <laughs> <laughs> <He's trying> to... <laughs> yeah. So, 
I guess I was a little shocked, and it was it it. it ups- but you were numb to it by the point that it, the the cold cock punch came. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> the, the, the sucker punch of a twist. Exactly, <laughs> I, and I thought I, I didn't mind the twist. Mm-hmm. I almost just like, oh, okay, that's where they went with it. Sure. Like I actually was. Not that I was impressed by it, mm-hmm. but I'm glad that the entire time I didn't know. Mm. I at least appreciated the fact that I didn't know what the deal was the entire time. Right. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. There's something at least there to be said. Sure. That by the end, things happen and it's a bit surprising. Yeah. But at the same time, just like, oh, okay, that's where it went. Sure. Because this movie is just I, – I, I can't praise this movie in any way. Mm. Um, in any a, way? Interesting. Not really. Okay. Because Fair. and I and so basically it's it numbs you a little bit. I was more disappointed in it and <laughs> Yeah, it really wasn't kind and, of a and, disappointment. Yeah, not interested and not impressed in any way. Mm-hmm. That, that's my overarching themes. I know you wanted to hone in the last twenty minutes, but that's kind of just how I felt the entire time. Yeah, no, I feel you. And uh I certainly uh, when when I say it's uh the, the majority of the film is playing out like your average silence of the lamb style killer, it's also with a little bit of a backhanded compliment that just watch Silence of the Lambs like you know th- there's a template there that you have like the best of these type of thrillers uh, to watch you know there's yeah. no reason to really return to Dress to Kill in its competition as no, well no and never felt and I, it's just you never felt gripped mm. either I mean there's a there was a half an hour I was checking the, my the, my watch mm-hmm. there's like a good half an hour segment of this in film which mm-hmm. is only it's an hour and 44 Half an hour segment where there's almost zero talking. Uh, see, that I liked. Uh, I think that's where uh, I, think, I was into this film. I, think, I, I uh, get losing it, but, you know. I, I thought it dragged on way, way mm. too long. Right, uh, right, Really dragged on long. Sure. And basically it was just a, a sexual platform for the characters. It, it, it just never hit. Yeah. And I yeah. didn't think the acting all around was all that great either. Sure, so sure. So it was, it was tough to. That's a very good point. I feel like this, even just being 1980, has some suspiciously, like, 80 cheesy acting, especially the relationship between... Uh, Nancy Allen, who plays right. the prostitute. Right, right. Not good at acting. Not and, good at And then there's, there's this weird relationship she has with the kid, and it's just like, what? And she's quite, she's not a lead role, but she is, for some of the movie, the, Yeah, I, I think a protagonist. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, just overall underwhelmed mm. and very much just kind of looking at Brian De Palma <laughs> and just being like, it just, it, the, the, the sexuality of the film actually takes away from it. Oh, okay. The sex is the point of the film. It is, it is. It kind of just is the film. But yeah. at the same time, what are we doing here? Mm. And I don't I just I just think that almost at every single scene could have been jazzed up better, could have been mm. more were you sitting on the edge of your seat, really? Uh, you know, no, hanging on. Uh, but I did appreciate uh, De Palma's filmmaking, uh, mainly, wow. you know, okay. in that in that silent piece that there's really no dialogue. I, I was appreciative of um, that stretch that he was only do, using visual wow. storytelling. Okay. Uh, does it make a there. good movie? No. Uh, so I'm with you 100% yeah. that uh, this is not a recommendation from me. I think more so I might have been skewed just in the sense that I'm looking for the trademarks. I'm looking for sure. this through the through the lens of trying to do this study and, and whatnot. Yeah. So. And, and folks, while I did not love the story here, I do think that De Palma's filmmaking is notable here uh, and uh, uh, definitely notable among what's coming out on 1980 on the dot uh, turn of the 70s, uh, which uh, is a time that we've commented on that is obsessed with hyperviolence, hypersexuality, which this definitely falls into, uh, but usually um, at the detriment of a lot of the a lot of the films coming out at the time. The fact that so many scenes exist exclusively in just visual storytelling, I found impressive. 
Um, especially that opening segment uh, where characters' thoughts are kind of spliced side by side. Mm -hmm. A simple trick, you know, maybe not something that wows you in modern day. I do think it was effective at what the purpose was. We were trying to have this kind of internal dialogue in Angie Dickinson's character. He also loves uh, using a split-screen effect, which gives us two entire scenes playing simultaneously. I would say it was a bit disorienting at times, but once again, we maybe see the hype around De Palma being that he's doing things on film in the visual storytelling medium mm, that okay. others are just simply not doing. Right. I think maybe that's some of the hype there. If if what, what do you think about that? I yeah, I, I think you know I'm not like crazy shocked that he's he's put in the basket of these of these big directors. Oh okay okay. Uh, and the reason why is just the amount he was making and some of the big titles. Mm, sure. You know, when you have uh, things like Scarface, not a league of their own, <laughs> Scarface and The Untouchables. <laughs> When you have those both in the same decade, like within five years of each other, yeah, yeah, so yeah. you know you're a big time director, and he's lived in so many decades as well, right? Um, for sure, yeah. It's just tough for me. I just was not impressed, sure. by it. To be honest with you, yeah, yeah. That one, the one specific half an hour, and there's a, you know an art gallery scene. Mm -hmm. I like. I understand what he was going for, mm -hmm. but not. I thought the stakes were incredibly low. <laughs> And I, I didn't care about what was happening on the film sure. on top of it being very quiet. And yeah. so, sure, he's doing it. Yeah, he's a guy doing it on film. Yeah. I'm just not impressed by any of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Especially when Angie Dickinson's character is like, you know, who cares about this housewife being lonely? You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm totally it, with you that the stakes weren't like gripping even though, you know, interesting storytelling. And, and then I feel like it, it drags a little bit. Yeah. As far as what he's doing on film, no mm -hmm. one else doing it or at least him taking his own crack at, at his own style. Sure. Um, that's where I'm just like, no, no, no. Put him, in, put him in that league of those directors coming around, mm -hmm. you know, in the late 70s or whatever, sure. getting a name for themselves. That's fine. I, he's probably just the least impressive in my eyes. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's really where the curiosity of this director study spawns, because uh, it's uh, it, it for me it's it's kind of like, well, does it live up to the hype? Does he deserve right. that? I'm yeah. fine calling heads or tails sure. on it, you know. Uh, you know, I I didn't think, folks, I would nail down a specific trademark this early in the study, but uh, I think De Palma's experimentation with storytelling might be uh, what interests me the most uh, moving forward. Overall, this movie is not great. Among thrillers, I would recommend many over this. Best of all being the mentioned Silence of the Lands, uh, must watch at a score of 90. Yeah. Uh, so uh, hopefully sometime we can uh, we can return to that movie and, and really give it its just due. Uh, but this movie is legitimately shocking in ways, um, so that might be uh, a curiosity point for you. Um, certainly it's what I hoped for, just wrapped up in a better story and, and just the story was not there. Uh, we're going to go ahead and give Dress to Kill, 1980, a 46. 46. Yeah. Okay, I'm happy with that. Good, good. Um, okay. I wasn't angry. I don't know. I, I don't have a Tommy Two Shoes for it. <laughs> I didn't think you would. I, I don't think you're going to have one for my own private Idaho either. So. Well, it, the reason why it, it, I care enough because I hate it, almost like a 65 <laughs> situation, sure, sure. these are both on the cusp. Let's just oh, say that. Oh, really? So okay, okay. We'll, we'll jump into it right away. Uh, um, let's get into 1991. This is My Own Private Idaho mm -hmm. by Gus Van Sant. Before I toss it to you, I'll say I, I was not in the mood to watch this movie. I kind of had to force myself to watch it. <laughs> Which is not, reading not the, great. <laughs> right. Reading the description, I just didn't have the interest. Yeah, yeah. That being said, the director is huge. Yeah, yeah. And he's done um, big hits. I mean, he did Goodwill Hunting, which is what he's most known for. Absolutely. For On my side, uh, mm -hmm. last year's birthday flick, mm. which was Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot. 
Oh, that's right. Which yeah. I think you ended up giving like a 79 yeah, or something movie. like that. Great movie. Love that movie with yeah. Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. So I was excited for him and also a young Keanu. That, mm. that basically pushed me to say, okay, let's press play on this. Yes, yes. And River Phoenix as well. My Own Private Idaho, let's set it up a little bit. What were your overall thoughts, Vin? Uh, well, I did like this movie. Uh, not to, I, no, Really? I, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I, wow. Not, to, not to be split on a, you know, a, who cares about this 1991 movie. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I did think it was good. Um, like you introduced phenomenally, uh, you know, uh, with Gus Van Sant, uh, there was some curiosity there, especially off of Goodwill Hunting. Uh, but it's also possibly and probably the last notable performance from River Phoenix, before overdosing two years later and survived by his brother, Joaquin. Uh, just like last week, uh, this was on my Shakespeare-inspired list. Apparently, this takes elements from Henry IV. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can say <laughs> how Shakespeare is included is probably just as jarring as 10 <laughs> Things I Hate About You. <laughs> Overall, I would describe this movie like a mix of Midnight Cowboy and Shakespeare, or if you're looking like uh, for more of a modern type of uh, comparison there, possibly even Dallas Buyers Club mixed in there somewhere. Um, okay. In this film, River plays a male prostitute suffering from narcolepsy. Um, I found it a little odd that narcolepsy was chosen over something, you know, uh, like in like a Dallas Buyers Club where it would be like AIDS or something like right. that, something appropriate to this male prostitution ring. Uh, but <laughs> I, guess, I, guess he's got, I guess he's a sleepy boy. Uh, <laughs> he is living amongst uh, a dozen other hookers looking out for themselves in modern-day Portland. Keanu Reeves is one of them. He comes from money. Uh, he is kind of not in it for anything other than the, ex- you know, kind of an experience, uh, as Oz that is to say. Plays his friend turned lover. Uh, as they kind of embark on this uh, dreamlike journey uh, to find his mother in a sea of vague memories uh, on River's side. River is a very tortured character in this. And um, once again, uh, my skin in the game was I wanted to see something from River Phoenix. He's a char- uh, he's a person that I'm kind of interested in uh, as far as his brief career. Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the brief window that we he is an adult uh, and acting, uh, that's what I'm kind of interested in. This was one of the most notable yeah. ones to, to try to tackle. I would say this film is very dreamlike in its presentation, which uh, plays directly into the waking dream that River li- lives in. Many times he will also just kind of wake up in random locations, which is equally scary and confusing. So I could get this film kind of intentionally losing its audiences sometimes in its presentation. Mm-hmm. I did enjoy a lot of the surreal elements that uh, you know pop in through the edit of the film and camera work often zooming in these hyper-stylized ways. A great example is the uh, early on there's this porno shop scene uh, where the characters populate the magazine covers that come alive and then kind of discussing their trade. I thought that was a cool scene mm-hmm. and, and inventive. Really, it comes down to this mix, <laughs> this juggling act, just like 10 Things I Hate About You, uh, as, as, as different as these two films are, <laughs> as, a, as a rom-com and like a, you know, um, a very, very intense drama. Uh, Gus Van Sant is writing here as well. Apparently, the original pitch had much more of a direct um, adaptation of Henry IV, uh, just in modern-day Portland. And, it, folks, it's going to be where... Uh, this movie's best moments live or die when you watch this. Uh, it is blatantly recognizable when it's its own story versus Shakespeare. Yeah. Uh, and I feel 
uh, that's a really bad quality of the film. I feel like it held the film back significantly for me. That it was so separated and he kept it separate. Yeah, such a divide. Such a clear, like, okay, we're in Shakespeare now and... Okay, now we're, you know, it's back, back in writing. Right, yeah. right. A fun sequence early on uh, surrounds a robbery within their safe house. And for a solid 20 minutes, the story feels like a merry band of thieves. Uh, it's really like tonal whiplash. Uh, yet when we shift to the real dramatic moments of the film that I, 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 I enjoyed so much, it's so clearly Van Sant writing in modern day that it just gives you tonal whiplash. Uh, the mashing of these is handled poorly. Uh, you know, luckily, I think both sides are kind of good in their own ways, but this divide is drastic mm -hmm, uh, yeah. and uh, really turned me off of the film without it committing to the side. I feel like it could have been much better if it picked one of these sides. Maybe not better if it picked all the way to Henry IV, because... You know, it's a little silly hearing hobos and prostitutes. It would be, yeah, you know, it would be a lot. In old English, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I think that's a perfect note to, to kind of bridge over to you. <laughs> what did you think about the blending of Shakespeare and, you know, a modern yeah, prostitute story? The, the weaving in and, in and out. I mean, he, he took, yeah, he took the Shakespeare story and did something completely weird with it, mm -hmm. something unique. And that is, um, I like that. That's fine. Yeah. And very creative, mm -hmm. uh, the way he decided to tell the story. Mm -hmm. I didn't hate... That didn't bother me so much. Okay. The weaving in and out of it. Okay. Uh, I'm definitely glad that we got a lot of just normal writing. Mm. I can only take so much mm. like direct Shakespeare on screen. Totally agree. Um, but, but to be honest with you, I didn't like this film. I, I really didn't like this film at all. At all. Okay. And it, uh, my interest was almost most peaked when it was almost like we were watching a Shakespeare play. Mm, okay. Uh, which is... You know, that's just not my cup of tea, really. Mm -hmm. And to have that kind of just injected into film mm -hmm. so raw and so in your face right. would be something I would usually hate. Mm -hmm. I think that says something of my distaste for the film. Wow. That that's where I was almost... <laughs> was your relief. My interest was peaked most. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean... Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm dying to know. What, what did you hate the most about the so film? Why don't, I start, why don't we start with what I actually kind of liked? Sure, sure. Which was, I actually really like seeing a young Keanu. Okay. But what I absolutely, you know, maybe the only thing that I could truly was actually like really, really liked was River Phoenix. Mm, yeah, yeah. I thought he was phenomenal. Yeah. I thought he played that, like, he played the character so freaking well. Mm, mm -hmm. And I don't know around that time if he was like probably the guy for this role. Mm. I just think he was really, really good. Mm -hmm. And for me, he's the one who kept me watching and engaged. Yeah. Uh, I love seeing Keanu because it's Keanu. Right, right. You know what I mean? And I think he's actually doing a pretty good job of what he needs to be doing. Mm -hmm. But River Phoenix really uh, holds down the fort here in this. Sure. So it, very good to see him. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much it. I mean, everything else, I just, man, I just walked away from this film. <laughs> And I was like, boy, that was a waste of my time. Really? Yeah, it very kind of even like it made me angry because just like, why did you take me on this journey that I just you never mm. made me like really give a shit? Oh, okay. Which Fair. is kind of surprising. Interesting. But with the twists and turns a little bit or, or it felt like it was always dragging and slow and was really I felt like he wasted his time. I just felt it like it, it was a waste. Mm. I felt like my time was wasted. <laughs> You know, and then That's, it was kind of just bo it was just boring. Sure. And I was hoping for a, a better. I thought it was hope. I was hoping for a ramp up, mm -hmm. and I thought we were working towards something. Mm -hmm. um, and instead, you know, I, we never got. For me, I we never got that high in the film, and mm -hmm. then it actually just continued to go down. Mm -hmm. uh, sure. After sure. probably the halfway point, right? Um, I would definitely say the first act was 
when I was most engaged, mm. and I was never able to get back. It just was down from there. Yeah, I, I, I think for me, I enjoyed the pacing and the slowness just because it was so sad watching River Phoenix uh, just flounder as a as a as a person yeah. in modern society. And again, I think there is a kind of a tone deafness of not making it about uh, venereal disease in some way among this prostitution ring, and then he has like narcolepsy. Like that just feels. Like what? what do you, I, I think you know. <laughs> it, I mean, I will say it added to the film almost. I mean, it was kind of funny. Yeah. The, yeah. the thing about this film is, yeah, it's, it's oddly heartbreaking mm, and yes, yes. sad and depressing mm-hmm. and funny and like over like just ridiculous as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> but that's why I I liked it. I liked the I, I didn't want it to be paced faster because I like the dreamlike element and I like that the dreamlike element is a sad dream. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, this is a, a a broken boy basically. I mean. He's, he's barely, you know, he's barely of age. The, um, and the decline was like. Did you want, uh, and, and again, avoiding spoilers yeah. with this, did you want more out of him searching for his mother? Yeah, I wanted more uh, from okay. a story. I sure, wanted sure. more of a story. Where from, it's very intentionally unsatisfying in a lot of ways. Unsat- almost each scene, mm. I wanted something more impactful that could have me into the film war mm. you know i didn't i ended up i start to not care about keanu stuff mm. i cared I, I start to not care about the mission mm. the banded gypsy stuff even though i like the writing mm-hmm. and keanu all of a sudden breaking down the shakespearean stuff <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. the band of gypsies and that kind of like street life yeah yep. that kind of crew i actually didn't, i had no interest in the crew and the main mm. guy sure sure yeah it's just no interest sure. so my thing was i thought it was just building towards something and it was going to punch more be more impactful mm. and the road we go down quite literally is just like and we're moving along and then this kind of weird scene and this doesn't mean anything but we're watching and then we have this guy yeah and it's just like well that's the dreamlike aspect where are we going here where are we getting can we hit a little bit harder Mm. and it never got there now his mental state his decline the way he's portrayed on screen Mm -hmm. he's great at the role he's Mm. great at the role like it just feels very real sure sure and that's like i said that's like all props to him. Yeah. Um, but where the story goes, I think it's just it's just lackluster. Mm. Yeah, I I think that's a great perspective because uh, for me, I was uh, definitely split over like the three areas that the film lives in. It yeah. Lives in this uh, male prostitute story. It lives in this Henry the Fourth rip, uh, and it also lives in these dreams. Um, I think a good way to kind of maybe gauge some of the dreamlike or the surreal elements to this, folks, uh, at home if you have no idea what this movie is is that in one of the earliest scenes uh river is just looking out on an an endless highway and a barn just falls and collapses out of the sky you know these type of things i I don't think are meant to take in as real it's all meant to try to be this uh this kind of surreal journey through river's eyes directly almost so that i would maybe make a stretch and say that through river's eyes these Henry the Fourth uh, moments, these Shakespearean moments, maybe is part of the dream as well. We don't really get any hints if he's like reading books or anything like that during his time, but that as well, I feel like, could be seen as part of his distortion of reality uh, to it. Right? Um, uh, is that journey worth it? Um, I don't know because it is meant to be intentionally unsatisfying. Yeah. So it felt like an early director did sure, thing, sure. which it was. Mm-hmm. But I just felt um, I it just, was disappointing. I was yeah, I wasn't impressed. I just wasn't impressed. Yeah, interesting. interesting. And I kind of liked where the story was going. Mm-hmm. Again, my favorite was the first act, mm-hmm. um, and I thought they had kind of most potential there, like the magazine scene. Mm. I, I really like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was something unique, something different, sure. kind of funny. Yeah, you know, yeah. The writing was weird. 
weird, but I like Had good energy, almost like a Scorsese scene. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I'm with you there. But yeah, I, I think more so than anything, I was walking away with a, a positive interpretation of this. Just because I think above everything, it is River Phoenix having a great performance worth your time. Um, you know, I remember not really going in depth on performances when we covered Stand By Me, but he was a true talent like his brother. And maybe with Stand By Me, I was just, you know, not trying to talk about kid acting. Right. <laughs> <laughs> was still Will Wheaton's best performance. I really wish even more time was given on screen to River because his downplayed performance is drowned out a little bit by Keanu at times, especially when the Shakespeare dialogue comes into play. Mm-hmm. I was getting flashbacks to the Dracula picture where Keanu who's acting is is awful when he's trying to do this like old English stuff. But I think my walk away, my takeaway with this film is that Rivers was able to capture kind of a a tragically lonely tone here and maybe a a little bit swayed swayed by my curiosity and the the real end to his life, which isn't too far from what we see mirrored on screen. We're going to go ahead and give my own private Idaho, 1991, a 67. Okay, 67, not a bad score. Yeah. I think uh, I was hoping it would crack the 70s. Really, what prevents it is that is that divide in that it's it's Henry IV, and then it's very much not, yeah. you know? The in and out. The in yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Two different films, Do you almost. think it would be better, worse, or more enjoyable, you know, any, any direction of that, uh, if it was all just Henry IV? Like, we're just, like, robbing people? I would not like that. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah that I would not like. Because <laughs> the thought occurred to me because uh, in that, like, original, you know, that, that like, first 20 minutes or whatever, we get the the, the, the heist, if you will. Right. Um, I did kind of enjoy the energy on screen. It was it was fun. It was, like, rompy a little bit, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I like the vehicle for that being Keanu. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't like the whole band together mm, okay, and it okay. just kind of turning the into hobo this thing. Lord yeah, and, yeah, yeah, didn't yeah, yeah. need it. Didn't okay, need it. Okay. It, it. I liked seeing Keanu in that role. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. But otherwise, like I would have preferred just a much more sadder mm. this guy on a personal journey mm. um, and a sad journey. Sure, you know sure. what I mean. Yeah. So I, don't, I, I really don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I probably would have liked that better because it could have been more focused. But, sure. You know sure. what I mean? Uh, as disliking the film, I'm totally fine with yeah. that. I mean, you know, I'm not I'm not falling on the sword on this one. No, for sure. Uh, do you see where I'm coming from, though, uh, as far as the praise for River, the praise for the dreamlike elements? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. There's things to like about the movie. Sure. For sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it just it just wasn't hitting for me. I was I was just expecting more. I was just, mm, just sure. expecting more out sure, of it. Sure, yeah. And maybe that's just me after seeing Gus Van Sant. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, B-52's fan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And not not hating the first act, but just very quickly then realizing it was just like, okay, don't, I'm not expecting much from this film. Mm. And then it didn't give me much. Mm, okay, uh, okay. But a great performance by him. What's I don't want to take away from uh, this versus uh, Dressed to Kill. Man. <laughs> They're the same length. They're both an hour and 44 minutes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Same exact length. <laughs> Man, which one would I watch again? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, it's just... just... You have a gun to your head. Maybe, there is I mean, dress to dress kill the hill because it's borderline hilarious. <laughs> yes. It, it verges on so bad it's good at times. But, uh, man, that's a tough question. <laughs> because I want to say Private Idaho just because of River Phoenix, honestly. Right, right. You know what I mean? And, and being, actually acting. And it's a unique – well, they're both unique stories, I guess. Um, <laughs> but you can't say – I mean, you have a – 
primarily gay prostitute with narcolepsy issues <laughs> <laughs> in Portland. And, I mean, just it, he went for it. You know he what I mean? He was it. like, let's let's execute this. And, and guess what? Henry the Fourth added into it. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Props. I don't know. Apparently, I don't know. he uh, Gus Van Sant went to a producer first, and uh, he, the producer wanted to chop every bit of Henry the Fourth <laughs> out. Maybe that you know, maybe listen to it there. And so. I think I probably would have maybe liked it better. Yeah. Even yeah. though I liked some of the Henry Fourth stuff. Yeah. But maybe just because it took. I don't know. I don't know. I really don't. And I didn't even write. I purposely didn't write notes for the film <laughs> because it was that like black. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But, you know, I I really do love when we disagree on something because I think that's important for folks at home to maybe get a gauge. You know what I mean? Uh, mm-hmm. To yeah. uh, if they're not going to be into all the maybe the the artsier, dreamlike, surreal stuff. You know, I think that's a, that's a good perspective. So. So okay, okay but sixty seven. Okay, you, you know you're saying it's a, it's a good movie. Yeah, but for very specific reasons, I would say, and more so not cracking into the seventies because of again the just the very much black and white contrast divide. Yeah, I would be upset if it script. was in the seventies. <laughs> this is pretty well reviewed and pretty well rated, yeah. and I don't know where that's coming from. Uh, yeah, like it's uh, pretty well received. It's, it's yeah, I think on Metacritic it's like a seventy nine or something like that. Um, I, I'm in, in that regard. I'm I'm with you that I'm not seeing like the full hype. I just, yeah, I want the execution to be there. I don't know, but yeah. Okay, all right. That's sixty seven for my own private Idaho. We are going to step into our newly released films, but first we just want to remind folks that we are completely producer supported here at the Daily Ratings. So the idea is. Are you enjoying the podcast on a weekly basis? Do you like the newsletter that comes out every Tuesday morning? Do you just stop by once a week and you're having a good time? Are you legitimately more into film now than what you were before you started listening? You know, do we just put a smile on your face? We make you cry or laugh or whatever. <laughs> uh, the point is, is it are you finding that you're getting some value from this? It's value in your pocket. We ask, can you give us value back in our pocket? Um, Vin and I are staying away from corporate advertising. Mm-hmm. We're staying away from tier structures, from paywalls, from subscriptions. We're not doing any of that. We just ask that if you are getting value to send some back our way, and how you do that is you go to thedailyratings.com, you go to the donations tab, and through your monetary support, uh, you become a legit producer of the Daily Ratings. Just like all the movies in Hollywood, when you financially support a project, you are a producer of that thing. So you can become a producer by financially donating, and don't forget you can write in a donation note along with it. Because if you're a producer, we want your feedback, whether it's questions, comments, critiques, love, hate, whatever you want to send in your note when you donate, we're going to read it right here. This is what the segment's for on the podcast. And, and that last bit, we, we've seen uh, YouTube and Instagram really blow up, uh, specifically in some comments of this. Uh, folks, uh, if, if you're coming from those platforms and you want to uh, maybe maybe throw some some hate or, or just get your thoughts out, we happily encourage Comments it. and critiques, uh, absolutely. absolutely. TikTok, not so much. TikTok, I don't think the <laughs> Zoomers school. like us calling them folks. Uh, <laughs> I think that's killing us in the algorithm. We, we did. We did pick a – we just aren't naturally – we don't use that in our I, lives. We really don't. I don't but think we've ever used that in our I lives. I think everyone needs a way to refer to the – I think folks is, is good. You know, Folks is good. Nobody it's also uh, hopefully timeless as well. So, uh. <laughs> and ab- Absolutely. So if you want to donate, if you want to become a producer of the Daily Ratings, it's thedailyratings.com and head to the donations tab. It, it, it's value for value. Don't forget that. If you are getting something from this – you know, we're not hitting you with ads. We're not going to deal with uh, slowing down our website with mm, a bunch of pop-up ads. That website is clean as a whistle. Uh, you know, don't forget, it does take a little bit of money to do this. You know, it, it's we're, we're a very slim operation here, <laughs> uh, but it does cost some money, But and especially 
Uh, it's a lot of time we dedicate per week. Been watching five movies, all the note taking, all the stuff with the podcast and the back end and putting the movies on, yada, yada. It's just a lot of time per week. We're enjoying it. But if you are finding it valuable, that's a value for value model. If you could, just send us back some value. All right, Vin, let's keep things going here. We are in our three newly released, kind of. They are newly released, but yeah. again, we have two 2023s. We are going to start with ISS, I think. Yeah, yeah, let's get it out of the way. So, okay, <laughs> directed by Gabriella Cowperwaith. Cal Perth, wait. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, don't know the director. Didn't really know this film was coming out until yeah, yeah. it was out and in theaters. Right. Uh, wanted to get into it a little bit. How was ISS? Well, this is one hell of a January release, Tom. Uh, a movie of true rookies. Uh, mm. Our director hasn't done much that I recognize outside of Blackfish in 2013, a documentary. Uh, our oh. writer. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. You a fan of Blackfish? I it was a good documentary. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I've ever actually seen it, but super, super popular, of course. Our writer is brand new, uh, this being his first script uh, picked up. And nearly all of the cast will be faces you maybe recognize, uh, but most likely not. <laughs> uh, Ariana DeBose uh, being the top of the list, which we recently saw uh, and heard her voice in Disney's Wish. I think my sincere hope with this one and the best case scenario uh, was that this be, this was going to kind of come off as a sleeper hit, like 2009's Moon, uh, a real space astronaut thriller. And uh, while I would still describe this movie that way, it's also ripe for soon-to-be streaming and afternoon TV fodder. Uh, (laughs) ISS puts us on the International Space Station uh, and tests our political alliances and if they outrank our personal relationships we forge. Uh, Equal parts Russian and U.S. astronauts live in harmony, harmony on the satellite. Uh, sharing their experiences, and despite the Cold War being long over, uh, the cultural divide is strong. We are introduced to the crew through uh, the eyes of a newbie, played by DeBose, but quickly into her onboarding, disaster strikes. The Earth below is seemingly plunged into war, reigniting the borders that were otherwise invisible in outer orbit. Uh, I have to say, I enjoyed the simplicity here. Hmm. Aside from the Cold War spin, it really reminded me of like a Twilight Zone episode or something serial from the 60s. Uh, the term bottle episode uh, was in my mind the whole time, uh, and that's exactly what this is, making the most out of one setting. Are you hmm. familiar with the term bottle episode? I'm not, but it makes sense. Yeah, bottle. Yeah, yeah it, it's kind of in there. It's that it's one one set that mm-hmm. they, the whole episode is put in. Uh, of course, uh, famous, made famous in like Twilight Zone and original Star Trek. Okay, and, yeah. You know, as far as the 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 plot itself, you know, quite a lot is done to tighten stakes again and again. It does, however, push a little bit too far with this, though, uh, and becomes uh, a little cartoonish eventually in the tension on the station. But I would say as a positive, the simplicity of it, and as far as the thriller goes, it is something that's going to keep your attention because the stakes are literally always ramping. It never stops. And I mean, even down to the last minutes of the film, more is being thrown into complicate things. I think that's maybe a good sign for our writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as a positive, <laughs> but uh, other than that, I would say this was extremely forgettable. Performances again are okay, uh, but quickly verge into cartoony as the tension becomes unrealistic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a fine balancing act because uh, stakes in a in a script 
You know, it's you'd think you just more the better, uh, and that's exactly kind of the the mentality this story has. Right. Uh, but after a while, we go from very realistic kind of space characters. You know, these are astronauts, and they kind of prove themselves as real astronauts, and then all of a sudden, they're very much just like movie thriller characters, bordering like a horror movie. <laughs> you know, you know, I, I would say we do also get some occasional like just bad shots, <laughs> like like not good cinematography. Especially in the spacewalk seg- uh, segments, um, CGI is blurry and cheap. Luckily, those scenes aren't the focus, uh, despite many comparing this film to 2013's Gravity. I think that's a total misdirect. That's not That's not this. Uh, again, think more like Twilight Zone-ish. It's trying to test characters in a bottle, basically. Right, right. I think my main critique for this movie is that it just fizzles out. Uh, maybe to your to your problem with my own private Idaho, it's like just like it's like oh it's over. I'm kind of I'm kind of mad. Kind of annoyed. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, out out of all the tension that builds up, uh, we really don't get a satisfying ending. And most of all, you know, this was forgettable right out of the box. Uh, mm. You know, I would say folks maybe catch it as background noise uh, and most likely not at all. We're going to go ahead <laughs> and give ISS a 50 on the dot. Oh, <laughs> the first 50 of the year. I'm kind of surprised it's this good. Yeah? Honestly. You thought it was going to be lower. At 20s, 30s or something oh, like that. Oh, no, no, no. No, no one's no, no, talking no. about this movie. I mean, it, it's, it, it's not like a 65 in that regard. Okay, right, um, right. It, it's it's trying things. Yeah, that, that's, that's where it's like, I think an afternoon watch would be be a perfect scenario okay. for this. So you're hoping you know? for a moon, but it wasn't quite a moonfall. Because <laughs> moonfall, I think, was like a 14 or something like that. <laughs> Nowhere close We're to We're somewhere in between there. All right. Yeah, yeah. Maybe this needed more moonfall. Maybe this needed more uh, Roland. That, so. <laughs> Got the 50%. I you're... think I beat that. That might be my fastest review of the entire And podcast. I think well-deserved. <laughs> I think uh, what, 50%. I think I'm sub eight minutes on that. I'm surprised. I'm 50. Wow. I, I, I'm actually surprised at that. Oh, well, and, and maybe let me speak to the fact that I, I don't think there's much wrong in the tension that builds. Again, it really keeps you, it keeps you locked into it because yeah. it's almost insane how much is just thrown on top and top again and again. I think that's a good recipe for an electric script or electric yeah, premise. Absolutely. Uh, it's just that it's just it feels forgettable. Uh, it feels so forgettable, especially because eventually that tension kind of caves in on itself. It's kind of, yeah, uh, you're right. Yeah. That's kind of how I felt about my own private Idaho. <laughs> how you said, fizzles out. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Would you give me... <laughs> no, go ahead, say, go ahead. Would you give me my own private Idaho of 50? <laughs> no, I would do a little bit worse. Rivers Phoenix uh, rolling in his grave. A <laughs> little bit worse than that. Okay, 50% for ISS. I, I'm shocked, but, but you are breaking out that 50 a little bit more. Oh, I don't to mean to. I it. don't mean to. Get a little looser with it. <laughs> All right, let's keep it going. We're going to do American fiction next. And this one, I was talked about it. It is talked about it at the Oscars. It's got some nominations. It's got a Jeffrey Wright in the supporting actor. It's built as kind of a comedy, drama. Oh, no, Jeffrey Wright's the lead, without a doubt. Is it, that's what I said, no? Oh, he said supporting. Oh, so, no, I meant lead. Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, no, 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 I meant lead. I meant lead. A comedy drama film, but kind of get into it a little bit. Tell us what this story is, mm-hmm. and how did you like American Fiction? Uh, I, I really loved it. Uh, I think this is well-deserved of all the praise. Uh, as far as this film kind of breaking a mold on what maybe I could 
call a predictable rom-com or a mm-hmm. com-drom or however <laughs> you want to yeah. word it. Uh, I, I think this this film breaks from convention in a very good way, in a very satisfying way, especially coming off of so many movies we've been covering, covering lately that is just like, yeah, it's, it's been there, done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the directorial debut for Cord Jefferson, a successful TV writer for The Good Place and HBO's Watchmen series. Uh, and like we commented on in previous episodes, this looked to be a perfect leading role for Jeffrey Wright. Uh, this is one hell of a smart comedy, uh, really highbrow at times and very sharp, and takes full advantage of an actor that is exclusively cast as the smart guy in so much. American Fiction is based off of the 2001 book Erasure. Its commentary on African-American-led projects has only become more relevant. I feel like this is... Uh, talk about striking while the iron's hot with, mm-hmm. this, with this premise. Um, the overarching story, there's, there's kind of a... There's two, there's two lines to the, to the plot. Uh, the overarching story is about a black writer, Thelonious Monk Ellison, uh, who is pressured by the market to, quote-unquote, write more black. Uh, normally, Monk avoids using any race in his high-level cerebral novels, but in an exercise to overcome writer's block, submits a draft leaning into the stereotypes he disdains and finds overnight skyrocketing success. Uh, the comedy is definitely built in that, that he is reluctantly not wanting this success. Uh, maybe kind of flashback to dream scenario with mm-hmm. uh, okay. uh, with um, Cage. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, this story is strong. Structured as much more of a personal account, though. Uh, plot beats are driven not by the book. Uh, plot beats are driven around Monk taking time to reconnect with his family and the drama he has to dr- juggle in his personal life in this transformative time. Uh, that's where I really lean into this breaking the mold. In, in such a, a normal way, a typical way, this could have been just so directly about the book, but the movie lives in a lot of spaces, most most importantly in the drama around Monk's life. That's where I was very happy to see the nomination for Jeffrey Wright in the leading role, because okay. this is a hell of a character he has cool, made. Cool, cool, okay. Uh, and he has lived it. That's uh, what I was wondering. Yeah. I, I knew, I knew, you know, I was getting good reviews and everything, I, I just didn't know how good was he. You sure, know what I mean? Like sure. how much of a performance... You know, of a role, it was this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think cynically, you could look at this and say, oh, it's just Jeffrey Wright doing his thing. But I feel like maybe it takes two to tango. The character feels like Jeffrey Wright, but also he's doing a phenomenal job living in this character. Mm-hmm. Can you say it's on the level of like a Bradley Cooper with Maestro? No, but I still think it is very much worth praise because cool. this is okay. a, a well-defined character, and that's really what the story is about: is finding the outline to Monk. So, I would say as well, the structure here is where Jefferson's writing prowess uh, pays off big time. Uh, the story front loads a lot of personal and emotionally intensive beats to make us give a damn first. Then, once we know what Monk is going for, it leans into the quote-unquote main story of his trash book blowing up in prop- popularity. This has some sharp writing for many reasons, but structure-wise, in lesser hands, this drama would be generically layered at the end of Act 2, you know, prescribed at Act 2, as I've said before. You know, don't get me wrong, there's still some generic aspects here, especially in some of the romance, Uh, but I think Jefferson shows some serious skill here in both adapting the novel and then creating something so fresh and clearly where he's most comfortable uh, as a writer. Uh, I would say now... Next to um, 
I would say next to Celine's song uh, with Past Lives, Core Jefferson absolutely gets uh, some recognition uh, you know, after the Tom Daly's to say, uh, I, I'm going to be paying attention to what he does director-wise because this is a very strong first project, you know, as far as okay. behind the lens. And, and I, do you think, even if he's not directing, just his screenplay ability as well? I would say so. I mean, I, I would be shocked if he doesn't get more TV deals coming out of this. Yeah. Um, or, or, yeah. Uh, but I, I, I would be uh, very excited to see what next project yeah. he does because this was well, so unique and so thoughtful of how to switch things up and, and how to digest the story. And after the success of this, he I mean, maybe he'll just ditch TV as well mm-hmm. and, and go in this realm. Right, I, right. I listened to an, inter- an interview with Core Jefferson, mm-hmm. and I, I really liked the interview because he just kind of got into processes mm-hmm. of like what it takes kind of to start a film like this, mm-hmm. the his writing process versus maybe mm-hmm. other people's. It was just like... You learn a little bit more about the industry. He did yeah. a very good job of just explaining things. Mm-hmm. That was kind of cool. And just in the process of that, got me excited about the film. Sure. You know? Sure. Would you say that you said it was very witty? Like it was very smart comedy? Oh, yeah. Very highbrow. Do you feel like you were laughing out loud a lot or were you smirking a lot? Uh, no. Uh, it was some out loud laughs as well. Okay. I would say this is one of the stronger comedies of the year as well. Oh, cool. Um, okay. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are that kind of like the smirk, the, uh, you know, you blow nose, uh, you blow yeah, air yeah, through yeah. your nose kind of thing. <laughs> Uh, but there are some outright, like, really funny moments. Uh, and that's where the comedy is probably the most interesting place here. It works because the, of the character's strength. And, and not, like, Monk's not a strong character in, in that he's headstrong. He's strong because he's well-defined. We hmm. uh, Again, the brilliance in front-loading some of the drama and the intensive beats is that we really understand the character for guy. the entire you know, challenges he's up against uh, to come in the film. As far as Monk, we're, we're forced to see race through uh, a true outlier perspective. Monk is a cynic uh, professor that doesn't really see race, yet lives in a world that is obsessed with it around him. Uh, through this, the comedy kind of pokes at all angles, but best of all is the, uh, we'll call it the racial championing that others do on his behalf that irritates him to no end. <laughs> uh, my favorite being the marketing execs shoveling his book that will just say yes to everything that he says and he starts trying to intentionally sabotage it himself and it's just fantastic it's so funny in ways this captures the undertone of something like get out uh where there is a comedy in characters making an ass out of themselves by overly trying to avoid being racist um but in many cases still just racist <laughs> so and i feel like it's also I guess it bridges gaps in the sense that I feel like this movie could really be uh, definitely an adult movie Mm -hmm. uh, for the heavy topics uh, and just like about a writer. Uh, But it really is a movie for everyone because I feel like we understand where Monk is coming from through this. We understand why he's annoyed with people just like tripping over themselves to make sure that they're they're politically correct. (laughs) He's like, I don't care. Right, right, right. So uh, it's great. I would say directing wise, I'm happy to see this get a bit experimental too. Once again, feathering cap for for Jefferson. I love the scene where Monk finally starts drafting a new novel. Uh, The characters come alive in the room playing out the scene. And I just felt it captured such an authentic feeling of locking in when you're writing, um, or more in an artsy way, capturing the muse. You know, it really just was a a great scene at, at capturing that. There are also some meta elements uh, as the book idea gets bigger and bigger in the plot, which uh, completely destroyed some criticism I had. I had hmm. I had layered some some thoughts uh, on that romance piece and saying like, ah, well, as unique as this is. 
it still kind of has the same destination as your average rom-com. No. Towards the end, things switch up drastically. And again, I was very you were, excited. You were there for that. it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I feel like as a writer, you know, he's clearly aware of the tropes that he lives around, you know. And and I, I, I would imagine, I've never seen either of the shows, but I would imagine that's what he sources for things like The Good Place and um, and Watchmen. Do you, I, you know. You're I'm not, for, I mean, I know the, I know the, sure. the projects. I don't really. I didn't watch them. Yeah, you know. I guess I always layered the good place into something like uh, "This Is Us," like over overly sappy kind of stuff like that. Yeah, uh, but I, I now more research. I don't think that's the case. And then they also have I've, it's very different than the Watchmen too. Uh, sure, just like sure. there's content. You right, know? right. Yeah, but uh, I, I would say, folks, uh, you know, all of this makes for a very strong start for Court Jefferson. And while this was originally stripped from theaters out of fear, it would get squashed. I would say this movie has a very strong identity. I think this could have made the cut uh, back in December when they gave it like nine days in theaters, or at least around us. It's weirdest, weirdest thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was yeah. like it was annoying. December fifteenth, and it was out so by the twenty fourth. You know, I, 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 I will remember both the character of Monk and Jeffrey Wright's performance long after most films that came out in December. Mm. So uh, I, I say happily, give this one a watch, folks. Do not let it slip to the back of the list. We're going to go ahead and give American Fiction a 75. Okay, 75. That's yeah, very good movie. Mm-hmm. I, I'm really interested in it. I want to see it. And I want to go see it in, in the theater. I don't sure. know how important that is, but... Uh, I would like to go make an effort. Yeah. Because yeah. I think it'll stick around for maybe a week or two still. And we should also note that supporting actor Sterling K. Brown got mm-hmm. an Oscar nom as well. Yes. So yes. he looks like he's like a big character in it as far mm-hmm. as like personality wise in this. Yeah. 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 Well, we get to know his family so much through, uh, you know, again, front loading this drama. Yeah. Uh, and we get to see how they react to it. Um, and again, I can't praise it enough. Uh, in so many other generic movies, you can feel that uh, these type of plot beats, they would happen at the end of Act Two, would mm-hmm. be the, the switch up at the the end, you know, same song and dance. He front loads this, and as a result of that, we really know these characters. And I, I would say the same for Sterling K. Brown as well. Excellent. All right. So American fiction, folks, maybe give it a watch. Yeah, absolutely. Give it a watch. Excellent. 75%. Very cool. Uh, let's go on with now our really <laughs> our true 2024 film release. I don't know. It's 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 hanging on. I mean, it's oh, you know, yeah. it's not bottom of the box office, it's kind of up there. <laughs> Uh, this is The Beekeeper, no, rated R action man. flick, an hour and 45 minutes, and uh, it's just got the, uh, the pigeonholed action actor of Jason Statham. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't know. Set this film up a little bit for us, and how was the ride? Oh, uh, well, I'm a beekeeper. When's the last time we saw director David Ayer? Couldn't be the tax collector. I would steer clear of Shia LaBeouf uh, by a mile. <laughs> uh, couldn't be Bright, Netflix fantasy fiction mm. blunder starring everyone's favorite slapper. Couldn't be Fury either, though it's probably due for a rewatch. Uh, give Brad Pitt some love. No, no, I remember. It was Suicide Squad 2016. (laughs) Great. Not Not well-liked, you could say. No, no. Uh, Still waiting on the David Ayer cut of the Suicide Squad when the (laughs) Snyder cut was coming out. Apparently Ayer said, oh, yeah, I got all this footage, too. (laughs) You know what he said about Suicide Squad 2016? It was supposed to be, quote-unquote, a soulful drama. (laughs) Do you know how that's what the the trailer was? (laughs) 
soulful drama. The trailer got us. Absolutely. The trailer got all of us. Yeah, it really did. It really We got did. hoodwinked back. <laughs> and you know what? Maybe he was punished well enough because that was such a massive film, supposed to be a massive film for the yeah. year. And here he is doing a January b- The Beekeeper release. <laughs> yes, he's in the depths of yes. January. <laughs> oh, man. Writing wise, uh, it just just says as you yeah, know, yeah. given this film the best chance it has. Uh, writing wise, this comes from Kurt Wimmer, uh, not an amazing writer, but behind some fun action movies like Equilibrium, a, a great entry in the uh, comedy action gung fu, uh, <laughs> takes itself way too seriously as well, and definitely this movie shares that with you. The elevator pitch looked to be striking while the iron's hot. I don't mean to be reusing that, but uh, I feel like it's right time. Right place. Statham is an evergreen action face to get asses in seats, but the real genius is in making a revenge flick out of the scam callers that have exploded since 2020. Uh, the result is a boys' watch with, I kid you not, boomer jokes around estate planning and 401k <laughs> prepping in the script. Uh, and I cannot tell you this is John Wick boomer edition uh, to a Tea. So I, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> this is all over the place. <laughs> Nick, Nick Nick Cage was in a base was in a film that uh-huh. was like a John Wick older guy out of retirement. Mm. Yada yada. That came out last year. Okay, right? okay. We have the Beekeeper. We <laughs> just had a film come out called The Painter. We oh, had, we had a movie come out that was called The Contract or no The, the Bricklayer. <laughs> I think it was called The Bricklayer. Oh, that's a little hard. That's, that goes. So you say with the boomer jokes, the scam call. Do you know, Have you heard about the Jones Squibb movie coming out? No, no. Jones Squibb, who is now like 93 years old. Okay. I was reading an article because it's like, well, she's doing her own stunts just uh-huh. like Tom Cruise. Jones Squibb, a 93-year-old who was involved with a scam call that got 10 grand from her. And oh, a, my And grandmother God. goes on revenge. No way. Yes. Like the same thing as this. But oh that's God. it's like that. this is a boomer movie. That's like a silent generation yeah. revenge John Wick. <laughs> that is the silent generation John Wick. So when you say striking while the iron is hot, I don't know if the iron's all that hot, <laughs> but it's there and it's striking. Right. Everyone right. is jumping on board for this. It really is. And, and and understand, folks, unlike maybe some other action films that we've just called John Wick, these are very directly John Wick because it is about the nobody that is flipping into this hyper assassin. Yes. Uh, yes. And yeah. uh, boy, is is this to the T. Um, in the B keeper uh, jason statham is b man <laughs> probably should have been cut from the notes uh in a john wick style reveal a harmless beekeeper turns out to be once again a hyper assassin with the title of beekeeper connected to something much much deeper in fact the scene explaining this downright shamelessly rips off the exact Baba Yaga scene from John Wick 1. Really? That we have the young, snot-nosed punk kid coming to his dad, and the dad delivers the lore around the killer. Uh, It is shameless. Shameless. Uh, I was... was up in arms, <laughs> and I'm probably the only one among a theater of boomers just ecstatic with this film. Uh, they were loving it. They, as I'm, soon as I'm, he said estate planning, oh, amazing. You, you, you never felt electricity I'll tell you in the right theater. Now, I'm, surpri- <laughs> I'm surprised you weren't alone in the theater, honestly. <laughs> yeah, no, this, this had some heads. This had some heads. <laughs> Uh, early bird special, State you know? planning. <laughs> I, I kid you not. 401k jokes. <laughs> Statham's got some one-liners here. Uh, in that way, it's 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 kind of cheesy 80s as well, which obviously plays to it. 
place of that nostalgia. The kick to the hornet's nest that riles him up is a scam call center that embezzles millions away from a sweet old lady that takes care of him. Uh, hysterically, this signals to the beekeeper that something is wrong with America, so he must protect the nest. <laughs> <laughs> the... Oh my God! What what can I say about this movie? What what can I really say about this movie? Um, I, you know, I I guess it's mostly self aware. Um, there are plenty comedic beats with how blown out the action is. This is also where the boomer lines come into play, which all are mostly like cheap dad jokes. But again, like we're like gangbusters in the theater. Like it's just <laughs> damn, like hit at dunk after dunk, like buckets. Um, <laughs> but but something about. And I mean this, the colossal amount of B terminology in the script makes me think makes me think it's taking itself very seriously. You know, I don't say this too often as a criticism, but I think uh, Kurt was overreaching a tad bit on building the lore <laughs> to his dumb action January movie. Like I don't I know more about B terminology than I've ever had in my life. I don't know, I kinda like it, honestly. <laughs> I kinda like that. Yeah. <laughs> it is it's unreal. It's unreal. I would say that's where the movie kind of works though. It's when it's not taking itself too seriously. Uh, there's I, it's hard to pin down, but there's a point that all the B terminology and, and 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 stuff like that that was normally almost delivered with like a wink towards the camera right. suddenly starts being taken seriously and it's it's a bad flip. It really seems like Kurt was trying to, you know, say like, oh, maybe this is a series. Let me start building the lore around yeah. the beekeepers and and this, this right. organization. Right, so this is going to have a cult following a little bit. Right, right. right. Uh, that's not when the movie works, <laughs> and, and and unfortunately, that's towards the end. The movie really works in the early moments where uh, we're kind of very quickly discovering about Statham. It doesn't it doesn't really hold any punches. I mean the. The old lady gets scammed within like the first five minutes, so slight praise there. It's not, it's not wasting, <laughs> it's not wasting your, time. your time. Exactly, exactly. Uh, I would say action editing isn't great. Uh, there are just just too many cuts, um, one after another, highlighted so clearly by hit sound effects. Uh, some early encounters are fun, I would say, but as soon as SWAT, FBI private militias and mercenaries are introduced there isn't lethality on screen the gun encounters just suck on this oh that's i mean honestly it's what it, you would expect more yeah because you would think that that's what all this film is a vehicle for right yeah right. Uh, when it does work is when statham is is attacking you know harmless uh, call center <laughs> workers that, <laughs> that play into this scam because fight choreography wise i mean it's not Amazing. For mm. instance, it's like it's like better than Equalizer as far as its fight choreography. Okay, okay. But uh, <laughs> as soon as guns are introduced, it just cheapens the whole thing. And I think that second half is where I was like, yeah, all right, you know. It really was cutting itself short almost. <laughs> I wouldn't say this goes as far as Vin Diesel never losing a fight in his contract, but Statham is really invincible in this. I, I don't think <laughs> the stakes or the lethality is uh, translated on screen because of just how invincible he is. It's certainly fun in the beginning half, but 
when the movie is trying to be a semi-serious action movie towards the second half, it just uh, it, it's just not there because Statham is like he teleports. He's just in different disguises out of nowhere. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. I, I would say just as a lesson, you know, don't forget that the magic to Keanu's action performance is half the time he is on his ass to sell the threat. Very rarely in, in, in the good John Wick films, the really good ones, you know, 1-4, uh, very rarely do we see John Wick not take some hits first to sell the yeah. intimidation Absolutely. of what he's up against. That's a very important piece in the choreography of the action and how we digest it mm-hmm. uh, as, as yeah. stakes in the film. Statham, n- you know, no one even relatively touching Statham in this film, I feel like, hurts the action, I, if that makes sense. No, it makes total sense, and it's a big, it's a big thing. Uh, with a lot of different action films as well, mm-hmm. you want to see you want to see that hits can land. You want to see that there is a little bit of lethality to these the, the opposition of our main guy. Yeah. Uh, one thing about the Matrixes, mm. and as you go more and more into the Matrixes, <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it's the whole thing that a thousand rounds are shot off, <laughs> and you're dancing around, and you're not oh, even, especially reloaded. <laughs> yeah, you're not hit. You know what I mean? You're not grazed. Yeah. Uh, it takes away. Where Matrix One, there's there's lethality to the the Smiths and there's uh, a danger. Yeah, to, there's, to even just bullet it, right. There's a like danger that, that yeah. you feel. Yeah. So with this, it would have been nice if you see the beekeeper getting a little beat up, mm, mm-hmm. getting a little stung, yeah. <laughs> getting a little stung. Oh man, I'm actually surprised more bee jokes around getting stung weren't made because I mean they really. Did. There was probably uh, several brainstorming sessions around every oh, you bee know terminology it. and yep. how they could. Oh my god, it's just. And again, I don't mean to harp on it, but like it's it's so disappointing that the film clearly understands it's a joke and is great, kind exactly. of in that like having fun with. It's kind stupid... of super important. Yeah. yeah, and then all of a sudden it's like, no, this is like you better watch out for the beekeepers, yeah, that's and it's bad. like no, that, no, 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 that's you don't bad. get it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, listen, it, it is some serious turn your brain off stuff here. Uh, <laughs> I think the best case, uh, or I think rather, it is the best case of a boys' watch in a very long time. Uh, for instance, this was, uh, like I said, better than the Equalizer films uh, quite a bit. But on the other hand, it's I can't believe that. it's also not strong enough to be up there with the greats. Uh, I paste this right alongside films like Nobody and Extraction Two. Nobody for being among the shameless ripoffs of John Wick uh, in this uh, nobody flip to assassin role uh, or plot and extraction two for kind of just having potential but not getting there by the second <laughs> half uh, and hey uh, don't get mad at me I, I still call those some decent action movies there's a lot of love for this going around so uh, this one I'm trying to trying to bounce the hate but I do see the potential for it. And certainly as a fun boys watch to throw on and, and almost in a so bad it's good way. Um, you can definitely enjoy Beekeeper, especially in the right demographic. We're going to go ahead and give The Beekeeper a 61. Wow. I, I, I am shocked. <laughs> I know, am sh- I, I mean, the, the fact that I didn't think this had a, 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 bees, <laughs> a bees winging chance. That this was going to be anything close to nobody. Oh, yeah. I thought yeah. if we have like four tiers of action, you know, John Wick up top. <laughs> yep. I don't even know what would be Die low, Hard would be up there. I thought uh, this would be like low, yeah, low, yeah, low yeah. tier. Right. No, this is somewhere in the middle for sure. 61% is yeah. really not that bad. <laughs> it's not that bad. It's not. It's <laughs> <true>. <laughs> Something being real... so stupid helps. Yeah, exactly. But you've uh, got to lean into it. Yeah. And, 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 <laughs> 
I, I think even if you're not turning your brain off, I mean, do does the writing hurt a little bit more? Does it sting a little bit more? <laughs> and when it comes down to it, I mean, I think, um, I don't know. This really was uh, a fun time. Uh, wow. Statham's kind of decent in it. I don't know. So. I'll tell you what. You are very nice this week. <laughs> I'm looking at these scores. You were extremely generous. Out of actually you liking could, some films. You could have <laughs> knocked 20% off of all of these besides American Fiction. I'd be like, oh, yeah. Bye-bye it. Bye-bye. Bye bye. <laughs> wow. Okay. I'm telling you, you enjoyed uh, yourself this week. We, it wasn't bad. Exactly, it wasn't bad. And I was telling you before the show, you know, it's like uh, I just kind of like watched these movies and wrote the review right after. Right, I was right. Like, All right, you know. Uh, but these even are quick, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you though, uh, we will probably at some point watch the Beekeeper as a boys' watch. Uh, I'm down because it is. I think I think you would love the movie, honestly. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. Maybe not like you know, love it, love it. Uh, so this is this. We can put this on to the compilation. Uh, on the boys site. watch. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. okay. Wow. What a different week. This is this this year is already better than 2023 January. <laughs> you think? We were well, we were slugging through. We had Mean yeah, Girls. That true. was fun, you know. Absolutely. I really do love that episode. Folks, if you haven't listened to the Mean Girls episode, much like the Magic Mike episode, it might have scared you away or something like that. I'm telling you, give it a watch. Yeah, it's or good. give it a listen. It's uh it's really really a great episode. I forgot to mention too for the Mean Girls, uh-huh. you know, that we saw it in theaters. Mm-hmm. You know, we maybe the rum had something to do with it too, because I was like genuinely, I gave it a shoe with a smile, like I was having a good time, <laughs> which people you know? have problems with. <laughs> what? More and more people have have, have issues with the <laughs> with the loosey goosey. Was it rules. the one shoe or the smile? People hated. The I smile. think people need to understand that the Tommy Two Shoes is a comedic score in essence. You know, I take Real it very your- seriously. <laughs> Don't go do that. Don't go go cut my. <laughs> don't, don't cut your legitimacy, your critical opinion. I don't know what's so confusing about the shoes. <laughs> you treat them like stars. Right. You treat them like stars. <laughs> and, smiley and, face. And, and, but the smiley face is. The point five? Exactly. Uh, okay. I feel like I help you through the, the, the brainstorming process live. I think so I got much. it. Lo- I think, honestly, I've got it locked down pat over here. Um. <laughs> I, you know, a shoe with a smile. A shoe That's with fantastic. a smile. Well, okay, all right. So, <laughs> well, beekeeper gets definitely a shoe with a smile. <laughs> um, anything? Uh, any other notes you like to touch on, Vin, for this week? <laughs> anything for the future? Roll credits. Here? Uh, I, I would just say that um, next week I'm gonna try to see uh, Origin, uh, which is getting a good amount of hype actually, and one other, but. Um, Happy to be out of January soon enough because <laughs> you know, I'm gonna have to drive down probably to uh, about, a, oh. about 34 miles to watch both of these films. Okay, so okay. I'm be spend right. the day in the theater. <laughs> with All right, Vin. Thank you so much for watching these films. Thanks for stopping by here, Vin. Folks at home, we'll run it down one more time. We have Dress to Kill with a 46 percent, My Own Private Idaho with a 67, American Fiction. Well, we'll go in order here. ISS with a 50 percent, American Fiction with a 75, and The Beekeeper. Uh, with this, with a sixty-one percent. So, folks, uh, thank you so much for listening. We will see you next week on the Daily Ratings Podcast. Hey, if you enjoy the podcast, if you would give us a good rating or get the word out and tell a friend about us. And just a reminder: the Daily Ratings is completely producer supported. We want to stay away from advertising. We don't have any paywalls or tier structures or subscriptions. It's all just value for value. 
So are you finding value in any of the things we're doing here at The Daily Ratings? Then become a producer and donate whatever amount of value that is. Just go to the di- just go to the donations tab on thedailyratings.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the massive amount of films that Vince has rated. Thanks so much, everybody, and we'll see you next time on The Daily Ratings Podcast.